Well, wow, is it great to see you? I feel like this is a family reunion. Wow. And those joining us online, we're thrilled that you're with us as well. Um, I have been longing to, uh, to see you, and as, uh, I appreciate that we're able to preach to a camera, but it's so much better to preach to live people. I can't tell you how much. I feel like doing a dance right now, but um, you don't want to see my dance moves. So uh, I, I wanted to just begin by addressing a topic that threatens uh, the great unity that we've enjoyed over uh, the last number of years. And um, we've, we've navigated masks, we've navigated lockdowns, and you guys have been so patient. But I just wanted to speak to the whole topic of vaccinations just for a moment before we get into our message. And um, as I came back last summer off of uh, being off sabbatical, uh, the Lord really impressed upon me three key words that we needed to continue to have as a church based on Luke chapter 10 in the Good Samaritan. We need to have compassion for one another, right? Um, different views of those who are sick, who are struggling, um, struggling mentally, physically. Uh, we needed to have courage, to be of good courage. And we needed to have consistency, right? That we'd be consistent in, in every walk of life and we wouldn't be different in other areas of life. And and I just thank God for you and how you have really dis, uh, displayed those three traits and characteristics of being compassionate and courageous and consistent. And, and people have asked Lori and I, my wife, both inside and outside the church, um, you know, what do I think about other churches who have disobeyed the government orders during lockdown? And our answer has been consistent. We're focused on what we're doing, Right? which is trying to be obedient to what God's word says and to submit to the governing authorities is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, as well as 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And in fact, our, our women are studying the book of Titus. And just this past week, they focused on Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. And there's this really great verse I thought just really appropriate for us. It's up on the screen here. It says this in Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them, that's the people, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow, like that was written 2,000 years ago. Don't you think that's still pretty relevant today? Really important if we, we continue to try to be submissive and obedient and ready to do good works and to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Well, specifically to the vaccine, um, I thought I'd try to get ahead of a potentially divisive issue, how, how we're going to treat the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And getting the COVID vaccine is a personal choice. And guess what? I was looking in the Bible and I can't find anything that forbids getting the vaccine and I can't find anything that tells me I should get the vaccine. So guess what? We're not going to come down hard on this issue. It's your personal choice and there's legitimate reasons for or against. And that's up to you. Where, where is it in the Bible? That should be our mantra. We try to live as God's word being the sole authority for our life and practice here. Um, I'll tell you why I got the vaccine. So that I could serve more people. I could go into hospitals and visit the sick and, and mourn with those who had lost loved ones. And, and this is the same principle actually before COVID that, I, that motivated me to get vaccines. When I travel overseas to visit our missionaries and teach and present the gospel to others. So 
I realize that the vaccine helps to protect some of us from um, giving the virus. And we need to clarify that the vaccine only protects most people from having life-threatening symptoms. What really hit me was watching the Red Sox-Yankees game last Sunday. Okay, this is why I wanted to speak to this. Okay, not just because I don't, I, I, I don't like the Yankees, but because... I saw in the sections at Yankee Stadium, you had vaccinated sections and unvaccinated sections. And I just wanted to let you know, we're not going to do that here at Temple, okay? We're not going to have all the vaccinated over here and the unvaccinated on this side. We're going to stay together. And um, amen, is that good? Okay. And should you, should you ask one another where you've been vaccinated? I think that that's a private matter. And... Um, but let's encourage to continue to, to try to protect one another in our small groups, in church. And um, moving forward, let's continue to show compassion, right? And courage and consistency. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for even things like vaccines that threaten to divide us. We have an opportunity to show how we can be united through Christ in our, our care for one another, our being kind to one another. God, I pray as we stand um, with each other, we stand before an audience, but most of all, we stand before you. You are the holy, righteous God. And we declare today that you would be mightily praised in our lives. Would you help us as we listen to your word to take heart and to obey it and to apply it to our life so that we would be changed and live out this new life that Jesus Christ has given us because he died on a cross for our sins and raised a new life. Thank you so much for him. And we give him all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading the Rebecca McLaughlin's uh, new book about um, helping teens uh, asked the right questions about Christianity. And she reminded me of this story in this, this movie. It's a very funny movie. And it's um, this, the film, remember Wreck-It Ralph? Remember that Wreck-It Ralph movie? Well, Ralph attends a support group for bad characters. And Ralph's a gentle giant who plays the villain in the Fix-It Felix video game. And for years, the villains from other arcade games are inviting Ralph to come to their support group for bad guys. And so Ralph has been really reluctant. He didn't want to join the support group, and so he hasn't joined. But finally, one day, he does show up because he doesn't really want to be a bad guy. But, you know, he's getting some peer pressure. And so... He, he says, man, I'm stuck in this bad guy role in the game, so I better show up. And, and the villains invite him in, and they stand up, and they join hands, and they chant the bad guy affirmation, which goes like this. I'm bad, and that's good. I will never be good, and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. Now, maybe some of us feel... Like we're the bad guy in a video game support group. And we, we're so bad that we've given up and we just want to embrace our badness, if I could put it that way. We self-identify as bad and want to accept our badness. You try telling yourself, there's nobody I'd rather be than me. I accept myself, so you should too, right? Maybe you're kind of at that stage. Or maybe you listen online, you think that. 
Still others of you are more like Ralph and you, you really want to be good and you're, you're struggling between being good and bad. Well, as we heard from Steve Adams last Sunday from Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Christ has given us a new life. Did you know you've been given a new life? A new life to live. And we're supposed to, to leave the old life behind. And so, well, today I want us to try to answer the question, how do we live this, this new life, this new self that, that God has given us and leaving the old? So could you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? And guess what? I've been reading this all by myself for the last two months. You're going to read it with me, okay? It's up on the screen. So I want you to join it. Let's have heavy participation. Even you laughing at some of my jokes is so fun for me right now, okay? So let's, um, let's read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. May you, be, you may be seated and may we truly ask the Holy Spirit to help us live out these things so we don't grieve him but we actually let him see the good that comes out of our lives through his power and his ability. Well, to summarize the characteristics of the old self and new self in Christ, uh, I created this chart. In fact, I'm going to put up on the screen. Uh, those online can also check it out at commissional.wordpress.com. That's my blog. Plus also afterwards, if you don't, if you don't have time to write all these things down. We do have a, a sermon notes handout that you can pick up and put in your, your discipleship binders. Um, let's just walk through the characteristics. First of all, we have on the, the old self side, the speaking falsehood, the harbored anger and the rage and the wrath. Stealing is on that side. Um, unwholesome talk and bitterness and brawling and malice and slander, all those things grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just a power. He's not just a force. He actually can, he can be grieved. When somebody wrongs you, you're grieved by it, right? Same with the Holy Spirit. So that's the old self. That's old self living. The new self is speaking truth. It's Good and angry, okay? Not good and angry, like I'm really good and angry, but you actually are good and yet still can be angry about some things, having righteous indignation. Um, honest and useful work. Uh, having encouraging words that build each other up. Uh, forgiveness and kindness and tenderhearted. Some translations say compassion. Let me kind of focus in on those four those, those top four categories, okay? Because the, um, the verses 31 and 32, I think, are actually summations of, 
of the previous verses. And, and if you kind of categorize them, you got bitterness and brawling and rage and wrath and malice. Well, they belong to the anger family, okay? The anger family. That's what, that's what all of, of, of that group is. And then slander, well, of course, that belongs to the falsehood family. And then forgiveness and kindness and tenderheartedness or compassion belong to the truth and love family. So with these explanations, I want to give some examples as well as give the reason why we should live the new self-characteristic. And, and here's the thing. While I'm doing this, I'm really hoping that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of you. And if there's something that he just kind of taps you on the shoulder and he's like, hey, you need to, you've been living the old self life. Today's the day where you can confess those things, you can repent of those things and you can get right as you head into communion where we're going to do this communion service all together so that the Lord's Supper doesn't just feel like an examination table, but a supper table, okay? So, um, let's start with explaining falsehood. This is a call to move out of the hood of lies, okay? The hood, the hood of lies. Um, you know how neighbors, uh, especially in cities, usually out in the country, the neighbors are maybe miles apart, but, but in cities, we neighbors live together and we live in a neighborhood. Well, False or lies can live in a hood as well. Um, because you know this, right? Lies attract lies. Anyways, you, this is why when people say, well, can you tell a white lie? No. A little white lie attracts other lies. Just like, just like black flies in, in June and here in Canada, right? If you have bare skin, they're going to be attracted. That's the same thing the white lies do. They attract more lies. And you start to tell more lies. And you start to live a lie. Hopefully today you don't find yourself living a lie. In fact, I'm calling you to move out of the hood of lies. The rent there is too high. It's more expensive than living in Cambridge, okay? Instead, we need to speak truth. And, and I got to tell you, I've never regretted telling the truth. Never once. Sure, I didn't like some of the consequences when the truth kind of comes out. But you've been there, right? Where you kind of, you've been telling those lies. And then you're just, you're just being down by it. And you feel overwhelmed by guilt and by shame. And you, you keep trying to cover up the truth. You know, David did this. King David in the Old Testament. He committed adultery. In fact, he abused his power. He was the king. He committed murder as well. And, and this is what he says in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. See if this, this you can relate to this. I think it still holds true. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Have you ever gone from just feeling like, man, you just feel so overwhelmed by lies and then all of a sudden you confess and you find freedom and forgiveness again. 
That's available to you today. That's good news for you. I remember, I remember cheating on an exam once. There was a, an exam that I could kind of take home and we weren't supposed to look at the, you know, use our notes to look at it, and, and I did. I felt so guilty about that. I went back to my teacher and confessed, and I still have some consequences, but the, the, the teacher was very gracious to me. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, right? Because we confess our sins. You know, the reason why we should speak the truth is not to stop feeling guilty anymore. Instead, we should tell the truth. Look at verse 25, Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And here's the, here's the reason why. Maybe you never thought of this before, why we should tell the truth. For we are members of one another. Did you catch that? We speak truth because we belong to one another. We belong to one another. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we are the body. And Christ declares in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, right, and the life. So as the head is truth, his body has to be full of truth. Our motivation for speaking truth can't just be so that we don't get caught telling a lie. Instead, we have to believe that we belong to, we're obligated to one another in a trust-based relationship. It's built on trust. Think about this. Think about our bodies for a second. Can you imagine if one part of your body was lying to another? What if your stomach told your hand, said, Hand, you don't need nutrients anymore. I'm cutting you off. What would your hand do? Your hand would start rubbing the belly, right? And say, well, how are you going to get food into the mouth so you can get it into your stomach? Do you see how there's a connection that he's trying to make there with truth and being a responsibility towards one another? Our bodies have a way of telling the truth. If you overwork and live under constant self-induced stress, your body will eventually say, that's enough! And it will shut down. As Mary DeMuth said in her Chesterton lecture on May 12th, she said this, I wrote this down, the body always keeps score. The body always keeps score. Whether that's in relation to trauma we experience or I would add neglect. Speak truth because you belong to one another as a body, as a church. As a church, we must be, never be afraid of truth, but chase the truth to wherever it goes. And when we find its destination, then we, we come to God and we come to Christ and we say, help us, Jesus, with this problem. Speak and run to the truth. Next in this passage, we see the old self-characteristics of anger and its burly cousin's rage and wrath, Okay? This is not only mentioned in verse 26. Look at it. Be angry and do not sin. But also in verse 31, we were to put away wrath and anger along with other old self-characteristics. But notice in the chart how I modified the word with harbored anger. Verse 26. Look again. But do not let the sun go down on your anger or wrath. That's not just for couples. Before you go to bed, 
that you try to work out all the problems you had during the day. That's true for all of us as believers. We should keep short accounts. Otherwise, resentment sets in. Tim Clinton says this, resentment is anger with history. It's got history. You haven't let go of the past. Resentment can also become deeply rooted in our lives and turn into bitterness, which verse 31 describes. And Bill Dunn exhorts us to see bitterness as your enemy and to flee from it. We're to run to the truth or we're to flee from bitterness. That history that bitterness dwells on is like, think of this, it's like a stack of IOUs, right? You think that this person should have done this thing for you and they have a whole bunch of IOUs or you have a whole bunch of different people with IOUs. The only way to do that is get rip those IOUs up and to throw them away. That's how you get rid of bitterness as you do so. In Jesus' name, say, Jesus, help me get rid of this bitterness. Don't carry your anger to the next day. Get right with the person today. Keep short accounts with each other. Maybe you need to do that whisper really quietly just before communion. It's really important. Harbored anger leads to resentment and bitterness and wrath and clamor. Clamor is that old word. It means brawling, okay? Brawling. Maybe we've been brawling more. Maybe there's been more malice. I, I think I see this. Like, we're supposed to be nice Canadians, but I see we're at a boiling over point in our society. Have you noticed this? People are short with one another. There's all sorts of violence that's happening more and more. Think about the horrific murders. The Muslim family in the London, Ontario this week. The Muslim family. See, we condemn violence as a church. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, died to one day in the new heavens and new earth to end all violence. It's going to be glorious. We, we know that Jesus died so that, that we and Muslims and Hindus and every religion would understand the truth that he is Savior and Lord. See, we're called not to live with old self-harbored anger, but new self-good good and angry attitudes. Meaning that you truly are good, but still can be angry. And you say, I always thought anger was bad. Larry Crabb, a Christian psychologist, says this, anger comes from a blocked goal. Think of that person who cut you off on going to come to church today. Well, actually, don't think about that person, okay? <laughs> that goal you had to get there on time, so you get on the playground first. Makes you mad. Or maybe yesterday, you were angry because you're like, I just want to get into the store. But I can't. And you're angry about it. And so it's good to go back, well, what is really my goal? Is it a righteous goal? Is it a good goal? Or is it a selfish goal? David Paulison in his book entitled Good and Angry says, Rarely and wonderfully, anger arises as a simple and constructive good. We don't think of it that way often. Far more often, anger acts in purely destructive malice, doing no good to anyone. And Paulison goes on to say, Where there is no evil, there is no anger. Have you ever thought of it that way? We should be angry because there's evil in the world. It's wrong when people are mistreated, when they're abused, when they're, they're run over because of hate. When there's racism, 
Good anger is upset at injustice. It is focused on others. It's not just about yourself, but it's focused on others and them being unjustly treated. That's why good anger does not assassinate others' character. It's never abusive itself. Good anger is what Jesus did on two separate occasions when he cleansed the temple of, of those who were trying to rob the poor, who were just trying to show up to worship. And people have been creating barriers and been exploiting them and making them pay. Jesus had the goal of eliminating barriers to God. He broke that down through the cross. And he wanted to make his house a house of prayer. Which is what we're trying to do here at Temple. Good anger, as David Paulson teaches, we can learn the most from the everyday disappointments and frustrations and disagreements and complaints. And we can do so and not sin. And guess what? Here's one of the silver linings of this pandemic. We've had so many disappointments, haven't we? Such an opportunity for us to grow in character, to be like Christ, to live the new self, not the old self, to be angry and not sin. But what's the motivation for being good and angry? Well, look at verse 27. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. The NIV says, or other translations say, give the devil no foothold. We don't want the devil climbing all over us, do we? Think of that. He should have nowhere to go in our life. We should give the devil stay-at-home orders. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Go back home. That would be fun. I'd love that. Because Satan loves to take a little spark that the Pastor Kyle mentioned. A little spark and fan it into flame, into a raging fire in our lives, in our families, in our church families, in our society. I've seen this firsthand in my life and others when we give the devil a foothold and, and let anger take, take, take root. It can be almost become unshakable, right? Have you experienced that? I believe when that happens, the devil needs to be evicted from that room of your house that you're harboring sin. And you do this by two things. One, you confess your sins to the Lord and he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's getting rid of all the garbage in your life. And then you need to evict the rats, the, the devil and his minions that have been feeding on those rats. Or feeding on that garbage, I should say. And if you sense you need prayer for that, then please, please contact us at info at templebaptistchurch.ca. We'll be in touch with you. We'll pray with you and for you and pray through those things. Because this, this project... Of, of growing to be more like Christ is a community project. It takes the whole church and our gifts. We should be good and angry instead of harboring anger so that the devil gains no ground in our lives. No ground in our lives. Speaking the truth and being good and angry are, only, are, the, are not the only new self-characteristics. There's also honest work. The contrast is stealing or taking what does not belong to us. We read in verse 28. Look at what it says there in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We seem to know that stealing's bad, right? Like you're taught this when you're, when you're little and you're trying to take someone else's toy and then your parents or your guardian tells you, don't, that's, that doesn't belong to you and you still 
don't quite understand it because you think that everything belongs to you. So you're like, John, I haven't stolen anything for a long time, right? But are you stealing any time from your employer when they're paying you? Or are you stealing any time from your family or friends when they deserve your time? Here's where speaking and living by the truth come in. In the TV show Last Man Standing, uh, the stars Tim Allen, Tim's character, his father, uh, decides to open up a cannabis store. And his whole reason and justification to open up the cannabis store is so that he can make lots of money so he can share all this money with a whole bunch of people. We deceive ourselves with such thinking. Did you catch what the motivation is at the end of verse 28 for having honest and hard work? So the, it says there, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's, you're not supposed to have honest work so that others will think well of you, so that you can get a promotion, so that you can retire early, or even feel productive. The thief is to become a philanthropist. We should do honest work so that we can share with others in need. Not increase our net worth. That's why we're to do honest work. So speak the truth. Be good and angry and give yourself to honest work. And finally, be encouraging. Verse 29 Describes the old self followed by the new self characteristic. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. My wife, her family was so wise, they taught all of her and her sisters this verse when they were little, right? So that it almost rolls off your tongue. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, right? But only that which is good for building up others. What an awesome verse to memorize. What a better verse to live out, actually. Our words are usually either, they're either tearing down or they're building up. And I bet right now you can bring to mind, not that I'm trying to bring you up some old wounds, but I bet there's some words that still kind of tear at you. I'm just praying today that you would, you would hand those over to Jesus. They weren't right. They were wrong. And you would say, Jesus, that was not right what was said about me. I'm going to take that to the cross of Jesus Christ. I bet you can also think about some words that really encouraged you. I remember some words that tore me down. I remember this one, one girl, woman that I wanted to, to date. And she said, said this. She said, you're good, but you're not quite good enough. Probably won't amount, amount to much. That was definitely not my wife. On the other hand, I recall a professor I had in my doctoral studies when I was having a lot of self-doubt about my ministry and asking me kind of on a spur of the moment to, to lecture on different preaching methods. Dr. Calvin Miller said this, Wow, you're amazing. Someday I'm going to be telling people I remember him when. Now, I had to be really careful not to let that get, get puffed up by that. 
But at that moment, God knew that's what I needed just to keep going. And I bet, I bet there's been some things in your life where someone's come along and said that refreshing word, that encouraging word to you, right? Just when you needed it to build you back up. My professor has now gone on to glory. So I, I now have that, that redeemed, encouraging word that someday he's going to welcome me into heaven as well and say, let me, let me introduce you to some people. And it's not he's here because of anything he did, but because of what Christ has done. You see, the correct motivation for building people up is not so that they can do more work for you or so that they even feel better about themselves. That's why it says, as fits, you see that? It says, as fits the occasion. And this is not flattery or falsehood. No, we should encourage one another so those listings will what? Receive grace. Receive grace. And this is why we have such an opportunity. And I think probably for most of us, we should probably look at our social media posts and say, are our words really demolishing words, demo words, or are they developing words? Do they, do they tear people down or do they build people back up? If you went back and looked at all your posts, could you categorize those two? Because I'm guessing the times that we've been critical, what happens is it's almost like putting plugs in people's ears. They don't want to hear about our Jesus anymore. This is a great opportunity to live the new self. To be positive with our words, to build one another up. Not shying away from correcting and rebuking when need be. But I, I would challenge you to do that in private. See, putting off the old self with its falsehood and harbored anger and rage and wrath and stealing and unwholesome talk and brawling and slander and malice and a whole bunch of other things, they don't lead to good in our lives. That we need to put on the new self by speaking truth and being good and angry and doing honest work and giving wor encouraging words and being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. And the problem is, though, this. I know this from my own life. We won't unless we remember the last few words in this passage. As God and Christ forgave you. That's the gospel motivation. That's the motivation of Christ. It's Christ's forgiveness that ultimately motivates us to live the new self. And we even have the Holy Spirit living inside us to help us do so. So as we enter into the communion and Lord's Supper, remember how, how Christ has forgiven you. He's forgiven you, brothers and sisters. And he's called you to live a new life. He wants you to be together in his church, living out these things so that you don't have to go to a Wreck-It Ralph support group for bad guys who believe in their live out. I'm bad. We'll never be good. God, through his grace, is inviting former bad guys and former bad gals to his family table where their new identity is the new self in Christ. So do you have this new self? Do you have this new self? You can by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus and for his forgiveness. And he will give you this new self.